we look at the final part of Ephesians, we look at a wonderful prayer, or the end to a prayer, if you like, which we'll be thinking about um, in a few moments. I don't know about you, but um, we've had a number of animals in our family over the years. Seems to be the thing when your children is that you get animals. I think it's a way of teaching the kind of life and death thing in a way, isn't it? You get a little animal and they die and you learn a bit. Well, we, um, we had a rabbit when I was little called Bugsy. Quite a vicious rabbit, actually. Used to hiss and bite. I, I, I think it was a rabbit, at least that's what my mum told me. Um, and I didn't really like this rabbit so much. It was my sister's rabbit. Jenny wanted a rabbit, so she got a rabbit. And uh, my mum said, well, you can have a rabbit as long as you clean out the hutch and you feed and water the rabbit. And I said, oh, yes, mum, yes, of course I'll do it. Well, inevitably, we either were forced to clean out the rabbit hutch every now and again because it was so disgusting because we never did it, or my mum ended up doing it and feeding and watering the rabbit so that the rabbit survived. Well, the rabbit lived for quite a long time, much to my dismay. And then one day my sister went down the garden and the rabbit was there, like stiff as a board, passed away in the night. And um, I was like, yes, oh, Jenny, that's so sad. I'm really sorry for you. And after what I thought was a quite a decent length of time following Bugsy's death, I said, uh, would it be possible just to have a dog? And my mum said, well, I think we should have a break from animals. But eventually, because my dad wanted a dog as well, we went to the dog's home and we found Sam. And we brought Sam home. And my mum said, as long as you take Sam for a walk and feed Sam and look after Sam, we can keep Sam. I said, of course, of course I'll do that. Well, you know, initial enthusiasm, I took Sam for a couple of walks and then... Well, my mom ended up taking the dog for a walk and feeding him and cleaning up after him. And I enjoyed him. We had great fun. Loved my dog. Well, then, now, in our family, we have Georgia, the cat. The boys love Georgia. They play with Georgia. They enjoy Georgia. But I feed Georgia... I look after Georgia, I give her the antibiotics that she continually needs, I clean up after her, and I take care of her. And you know, this seems to be how it goes. I've noticed a cycle here. This seems to be how it goes with pets and children. You know, they enjoy them, making lots of empty promises, and you look after them. That's how it goes, isn't it? I don't know, has anyone else experienced the same thing? There was a few nods there. But, you know, in a way, in a strange way, this, it seems to me, is also how it goes with life, too. In the sense that the older you get, the more you focus on looking after and making sure things are done, rather than the enjoyment of it all. When we get older, a lot of our satisfaction tends to come from what we achieve during the day or what we have achieved. We can gauge a day often by what we have done, what we have accomplished, what we have managed to fit in. And if we're lucky, we tick off all the things we wanted to do that day from our long list and we go, that was a good day. I had a good day because I managed to do a lot of things. I managed to fit a lot in. 
Life, it seems, sometimes can be more about doing and fitting things in than it is about savouring and enjoying what we have been given. I was reading the other day that there is now, in some shopping centres, a fast lane. Has anyone else read this? There's a fast lane painted on the floor for those shoppers who want to get things done. Because apparently, one of the most annoying things when you're shopping, a survey says, and I have to agree with this sometimes, is those people who just stop in front of you to look in the shop window, to enjoy the experience when you're trying to get your shopping done. So now, there is a fast lane. It's about that width. It's got arrows on it. You can walk along it, get your shopping done. And the reason for this, apart from the fact that people get annoyed, is to avoid that well-known thing of slow rage. Did you know there was slow rage? There is slow rage. But now, you can get on your fast lane, get your shopping done, and get as much into the day as you can. We want to do, because doing means we've had a good day. Whereas when we're children, when we're younger, life is much more about the enjoyment, isn't it? About exploring and enjoying and getting lost in the wonder of what is in front of us at that time. Of course, on the whole, we don't have the vast responsibility that we have when we're older, when we're children. But nevertheless, the focus is about delving into what we're experiencing. You know, when you have little children, you can't just go to the shops. You have to walk along the wall and jump over the puddles and pick up all the little bits that are on the floor because we're enjoying the walk rather than the person who's taken the child wanting to get to the shops to get things done. We get older and we reduce things down to a list of achievements and accomplishments. When we do something, we feel really satisfied, and when we don't, we feel a little bit guilty that we haven't got things done. And somewhere along the way, we forget or we push aside the instinct to enjoy and explore and get lost in the wonder of what is in front of us. You know, I have this thing on my wall in the office called the Tired Mother's Creed, which are printed off the internet quite a few years ago when I had James and then Joshua, and I thought, oh, I'm exhausted. Printed off the Tired Mother's Creed, and it has 20 things on it. A few of the highlights are, I shall say yes to blanket forts and see past the chaos to the memories we're building. Oh, that's good. I shall remember that a messy house at peace is better than an immaculate house tied up in knots. So good. I shall play loud music loudly and teach my kids the joy of wild, uncoordinated dance, which isn't that hard with me. Just have to walk into the room, you know. I shall make space in my grown-up world for goofball moments with my kids. I'm like, this is good. I shall not resent the last call for kisses and cups of water, but remember instead that when I blink they will be away and at college. It's there to sort of remind me, rather than doing things and getting everything done, that actually there's things to enjoy. Of course, inevitably, I read this every day and I realise once again that I haven't done any of these things and I just feel guilty. It's another list that makes me feel guilty. But it's there. It's there to try and focus me on what is really important among all the lists of things that I have to do. 
And you know, here in the book of Ephesians, in a way, this is what Paul is doing. In the passage that we read a few moments ago, he's reminding these young followers of Christ of what is important among all the things that they feel they have to do in following Jesus. In fact, this is what he's been doing throughout the first three chapters of this letter that we've been looking at, culminating in these wonderful words that we read today. He's been trying to focus the attention of these followers of Jesus on the wonder of God, the wonder of his grace, the wonder of his welcome, the wonder of his forgiveness, the wonder of his richness and his inheritance, and most importantly, the wonder of his love, which is where we end up today in this passage at the end of chapter 3. Because if there's one thing the Apostle Paul knew well... It was the danger of doing, the danger and the attraction of achieving and working and focusing on that which needed to be done. After all, this is how he used to live before he knew Jesus. Paul was that person who was driven by accomplishing goals. He was that person who was focused on making things happen. He lived a life by what he could do. And what he could achieve. He was a man who would have completed his to-do list with zeal, ticking off everything, because he had reduced life down to a list of achievements and accomplishments, pushing aside the joy to make sure he lived in the right way and did things well. Or as he says in his own words in the letter to the Philippians, if others think they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on law, faultless. You see, Paul, as a Jew, ticked every box and jumped through every hoop, making a huge success of persecuting the followers of Jesus. And in doing this, he achieved an awful lot. But then, of course, he met Jesus on the road to Damascus in a flash of light through the words of God himself. And his life was turned around until he came to the conclusion that the way he used to live and the focus he used to have was nothing compared to the richness of God that he had encountered. But whatever were gain to me, he says, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. You see, when Paul wrote this letter to the Ephesians, he wrote it out of his experience of a driven, achievement-based lifestyle that drove him to do more and more and more. And so when he wrote it, he was at great pains to point out that following God that living lives for Jesus, that committing to a new way of being was not about that old lifestyle. It was not about doing lots of things. It was not about making things happen. It was not about achieving our own salvation. Instead, as he points out time and time again in this letter, it is about grace. In fact, it's all about grace. It's about God giving and giving again and again and again and again the things that we don't deserve, the things we haven't worked for, the things we haven't achieved. 
It's about God's uncontrollable, everlasting, unquenchable love for all of his creation. And so Paul starts this passage by saying, for this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. For this reason, because of this amazing love and grace that I have encountered, I kneel before the Father through whom everyone was created and through whom all find their place and home. And I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your innermost being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray, says Paul, that because of his amazing love and grace, you may have the power of God in your lives. You may have Jesus Christ living in your hearts by his spirit, so that you may have the strength to live lives of faith in God. Or to put it another way, I pray, says Paul, that you will know the power of God in your life so that you can live for him, just as I do now. Which I guess is not really an unusual prayer for an apostle to pray. In fact, it's not really an unusual request for someone to make for those that they love and want to follow God. But what is unusual, maybe, is what follows in this prayer of Paul's. Because when he makes this request, when he asks for the power of God to be present in the lives of the Ephesian believers, he's not asking that they will have this power so that they can serve God. He's not asking they can have this power so they can do things, so they can make things happen, so they can achieve tangible results for God. He's not asking that these followers of Jesus will have the power to do. He's asking that they will have the power to know, the power to grasp, the power to explore, the power to enjoy, the power together with all the Lord's people to delve into the depths of God and begin to understand something of his love. How wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And that in seeking to understand and grasp this, he's praying that they will be rooted and established, filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Or to put it another way, in the words of the Message Bible, Paul is asking that the Ephesians be filled with the power of God and the presence of Jesus for the sole reason that they will be able to grasp the extravagant dimensions of Christ's love. Reach out and experience the breadth. Test its length. Plumb the depths. Rise to the heights. Live full lives. Full in the fullness of God. You know, I don't know whether anyone has um, watched a lot of Disney in their time. I imagine quite a few of you have. I don't know whether anyone's seen Fantasia, which is a collection of different things, but in Fantasia, there is a story of the Sorcerer's Apprentice, which I watched when I was little, um, set to wonderful music. And it's about a sorcerer who has an apprentice, and the sorcerer goes off for a bit of a break, and he leaves his apprentice behind to complete some chores. One of the chores is to fill the cauldron up with water. And in Fantasia, Mickey Mouse is the apprentice, 
And when the sorcerer's gone off, Mickey Mouse starts to do his chores, and then he gets a bit fed up, and he wants a bit of a rest. And so he puts on the sorcerer's hat, and he casts a spell on the broom. And the broom then starts to get buckets of water to fill the cauldron, and Mickey Mouse has a bit of a sleep and a bit of a daydream. Well, the broom keeps going, filling up the cauldron until the cauldron's overflowing and then keeping filling it up so it's flowing out into the passageways and down the halls. And eventually, Mickey Mouse wakes up and realises that this spell that he's cast is going a bit crazy. Water is everywhere in this castle. And so he tries to stop the broom... But the broom won't stop because he's enchanted by this spell. And so the broom keeps pouring water everywhere and it's coming down the stairs and it's flowing everywhere. And then Mickey can't stand it any longer. So he gets an axe and he chops up the broom into pieces and everything stops. And the music goes quiet and Mickey Mouse breathes a sigh of relief. And then the pieces of broom start to stand up. And each piece of broom becomes another broom and picks up another bucket and gets the water and starts to fill the cauldron, which is overflowing. And then the water spills over the top of the balconies, down the stairs, and turns into a massive whirlpool. It's everywhere. Water is everywhere. Until eventually the sorcerer comes back and stops the spell and everything is restored. But that image of water filling and filling and overflowing and unstoppable and everywhere has always stuck with me. And it's the image I get here when Paul is describing the love of God and the fullness that is offered to us if we would only stop long enough to delve in and explore. God's love, so deep, So high, so long, so wide, that if we spent our whole lives exploring it, we would only really scratch the surface. And the reason Paul longs for the followers of Jesus to delve into the love of God is because he knows with all of his experience that doing and achieving and making things happen, however good these things may be, only really exhaust and wear down and bring hollow results if they're not born out of the love of God himself. And so here Paul is saying that to live lives for God, to follow Christ, to let him be Lord of our life rather than simply a guest we accommodate, We're not called, first and foremost, to do, to work hard so that we feel we're living lives worthy of God. Instead, we're called to be, to be people who push aside the desire to fit so much into life so that we can explore and enjoy and get lost in the wonder of God that is in front of us every single day, grasping a little of the hugeness of his love so that this becomes our foundation. This becomes the soil from which we grow. This becomes what we root our lives in, rather than the constant need to achieve results which often wears us out and ultimately fills us with a need to achieve more and more and more. You know, this is not to say that we don't do anything. 
just to clarify. Paul's not praying here that we just sit around in a constant state of meditation, thinking about love all the time. He's simply praying that the Ephesians and those of us who read this letter after them will focus our attention on what is really important. That we might spend time investigating, exploring and enjoying the love of God so that we we may be filled to overflowing with his fullness. Because it's only when we're like this that we can really then do anything. It's only when we decide to continue to explore God rather than rely on what we learnt when we were children or what we already know that we will be made more and more aware of his grace and his love in our lives. And that this will counter the constant need to achieve. And also this will motivate us to step out and do things for God. Because until we're rooted in love, we will have nothing to draw on, nothing to fall back on, nothing to keep us standing when life pushes back. Love, says Paul, is what life is all about. The love of God made known in Christ Jesus our Lord.